This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. It's a storied and iconic old Wall Street firm that has seen its share of financial cycles, booms and busts, 200 years old and counting, aging along with and experiencing American history as it happened. We're talking about one of the oldest private investment banks in the United States, Brown Brothers Harriman. And Zachary Carabell has a new book about the subject. He's a journalist and former finance executive, founder of the nonprofit and individual supported The Progress Network, which was launched last year. It's all about finding a better future. His book, though, Inside Money, Brown Brothers Harriman and the American Way of Power. He joins us on the phone in New York City. Zachary, good to have you here with us. How are you? And what was it like writing I'm, this book? It was unexpected. I, <laughs> uh, I, I, it took me a while to actually get into the mindset of a firm steeped in kind of quiet rectitude and, you know, to find a narrative that, that kind of spoke to me and spoke to our president. I know that's an unusual thing for an author to say that it you know took a while, but think of it like a lot of dating before we consummated the marriage. Well, let me ask you something. Why Brown Brothers Harriman? So uh, one, there's almost no firm that has spanned the entire lifetime of, an in, of the independent United States that has kind of been present at the creation at every given moment. To some degree, think of Brown Brothers Harriman as Zelig, that, that film that came out 30, 40 years ago. At every important juncture in American history, there's a Brown Brothers banker in the top row to the left, not innocuous but present. And it was a way of writing about the role of money in making American power in the 19th century and then in making the United States into a global power in the 20th and then raising the questions of what should American capitalism be in the 21st. So it was there at just like critical junctures, right? Like you think about what what this firm has seen over its lifetime. Uh, and I have to say, what was it like then for a firm that has seen so much? What was it like going through the company's archives? Tell me, is it a basement with tons of boxes? Is it, what is it? I, I just paint the picture and tell yeah. me some of the stuff so you came across. There was a 150th anniversary. The last time Brown Brothers made really big press was its 150th anniversary party in 1968. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, even though they say they were founded in 1818, it's kind of a made up date. I won't go into the arcana of it. The firm really begins in 1800 when an Irish linen merchant emigrates from the troubles in Ireland and goes to Baltimore and sets up shop and then brings all of his four sons into the business and hence the Brown Brothers as the title. And for that 150th anniversary, they commissioned a corporate history. Companies do this all the time. Right. And then all the archives for this were taken and placed at the New York Historical Society. And I happen to live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is where the New York Historical Society was. So of all the books I've ever done, it was by far the easiest research I've ever done. I could, like, roll out of bed and into the library. I know there were. That's pretty sweet. So tell me some of the stuff you came across that you thought were critical in writing this book and helping you tell the story. Um, so you can break this really neatly into 19th, 20th, and I guess to some degree the coda of the 21st century. So in the 19th century, Brown Brothers is at the epicenter of this thing that made the United States unique relative to the old world. The old world, money is pretty much tied up in human capital, land, and then hard like gold and silver coins. And in the United States in the 19th century, you have this like efflorescence of paper 
promises, paper money, Mm -hmm. which have been around a little bit here and there over time. It's not like the United States invents that, but its proliferation and its utility and and the ease of obtaining it was just so much greater in the 19th century. And it really unlocked a lot of human potential and created immense chaos and volatility. And Brown Brothers really creates some of the first paper to underwrite the transatlantic trade system, these letters of credit, uh, which if you're in finance, you know, and if you're not in finance, it's just kind of gobbledygook. But they were the lubricant for the entire international transatlantic trade system, including the whole cotton trade. Uh, and it's, it's really what allowed the United States to develop at a kind of a hypercharged level in the 19th century. And I, I didn't even appreciate that as much until I sat down and, and wrote the book. And then we can get into the, the 20th century. I mean, the, they're well, the, the whole thing then is when the people who made money go into the centers of power and right. create the American establishment. So we were talking a little bit kind of in the early days of Brown Brothers, Harriman, and and their history, because it's been around for a long time. The 20th century, though, was an important one for this firm. And I was looking in the book, it said, um, among the young men who were formed by the war uh, was a generation of Brown Brothers partners who would catapult the firm not only to the center of Wall Street, but at the epicenter of a global system that they themselves designed. I mean, these were individuals, Brown Brothers, individuals who were really at the heart of so much. Yeah, and the and the ones that would be familiar, or at least a little bit familiar, are Avril Harriman, mm-hmm. who served as uh, Secretary of Commerce, uh, ambassador to Moscow during the part of World War II, uh, and then administrator of the entire Marshall Aid Plan to Europe, then governor of New York, and then in, in foreign policy roles in the Kennedy administration. Uh, a guy named Robert Lovett, who was very famous in his time, but has kind of faded. I mean, he's on cover of Time magazine. He became Undersecretary of State, really the creator in many ways at the Department of War, the precursor of the Pentagon, of the modern Air Force. You know, the, helped create the B-29 Super Fortress bomber that dropped the atomic bombs, mm. for better and for worse, on Japan. Yeah. And, of course, Prescott Bush, who is the father of George Herbert Walker Bush and the grandfather of George W. Bush. So, and that's where a lot of the Bush family fortune comes from. It comes from his time at Brown Brothers Harriman. And this cohort of people, they all went to Yale, they all went to the same schools, became the heart of this elite that we called the establishment that made what Henry Luce, the founding editor of Time magazine, also went to Yale, also funded by Brown Brothers Harriman, called the American Century. And, and they designed every, basically every institution globally not just Brown Brothers, but their class, this cohort, from the World Bank to the World Trade Organization to the United Nations, the Pentagon, CIA, National Security Council, all comes from this class of people who made their money on Wall Street, made the money that made America, and then that money and that America made the world. You know, Zachary, what's interesting, too, is this isn't a firm that it certainly wasn't the biggest on Wall Street. It didn't go public, a la Goldman and others. And it's interesting, you write that there was never any serious discussion of going public. You know, it was partners who had decided, you know, that they didn't want to do a lot of the things that the other big banks ultimately on Wall Street were doing, um, whether it was in investment banking or underwriting the tech boom. They did it differently. And we all knew that. I know as a journalist, we all knew it, that they were different from the rest of the pack. Yeah, and I do think that that not going public is crucial. And mm-hmm. I'm by hardly the first person to indicate that because right. when these were partnerships, it just it limited the amount of risk that these firms could take with capital because it was their money. It wasn't shareholder money. It wasn't leverage from a bank. 
and it changed the incentive structure. And I am not putting on rose-tinted glasses and saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if everything had stayed that way? Mm -hmm. my, my critique is that there needs to be a balance between speculation and investment, between long-term and short-term, between those who are willing to bet the farm and really risk on innovation and those who are more small-c conservative. And that at the heart of a system where money is volatile, money is powerful, money is like the power you unleash in an atom, I think you want a little more of the caution at the center and the risk at the periphery. And what's happened on Wall Street and in the financial world, I believe, in the past 30 years, and certainly we saw this in 2008, 2009, is that that balance shifted and speculation and more, 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 as opposed to enough is enough, occupied the center. And, and the Brown brothers of the world, if they survived at all, ended up on the periphery. And I think that balance is skewed in a way that's unhealthy. Why do you think it's important to tell the history of a firm like Brown Brothers? So I use the phrase, uh, I guess somewhat provocatively, of they are an example of sustainable capitalism. And sustainable mm -hmm. not in the ESG sustainability sense, sustainable in literally what kind of form of capitalism is sustainable long-term societally. And there are a couple of elements of that. One is that the people who've profited greatly by the system believe they have a responsibility to the commons, that, that, that unless everybody is thriving, you cannot individually or corporately thrive for very long, hence the sustainability of a system. And also that the relentless pursuit of more, while it's certainly interesting and healthy for some people to do that, it, it can, again, get out of balance, that there is such a thing as enough, not for not you know, doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for a better future, a better world. I'm not suggesting that at all. But that the, that the idea that only more is of value and that if you, you know, can make as much as possible, as quickly as possible, that is to be lionized and rewarded. That can work as for individuals, but I think it doesn't sustain a healthy system. And I do believe there's an ethos that Brown Brothers had that is useful to think about because we're constantly redefining capitalism. And our current notion of it, whether it's on the left to attack it or on the right to laud it, is a version of, of capitalism. It is not the version of capitalism. Well, that's what I was thinking about, you know, certainly coming off the financial crisis, a lot of criticism levied at the financial community. And at the same time, we need a healthy financial community, right, to have a strong economy. You know, this is how you provide funding and, you know, public markets and so on and so forth. But I do wonder, is there a lesson for today, you know, looking at the history of Brown Brothers Harriman, is there a lesson for today in today's Wall Street and today's financial firms in contrast? Again, I think it's I think it's more about culture and sensibility than it is necessarily about structure, right? I'm not saying yeah. <laughs> Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are not going to go private and become partnerships tomorrow. <laughs> Even if they went private, they'd be owned by a private equity firm. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be a partnership. But it is about an ethos of what's my responsibility to the greater good? Uh, to what degree should I be shaping uh, the commons in a way that makes us all rising tide lifting all boats rather than my boat did very well and your boat sunk. And I think there's a lot tech at least could learn from that today who seem to be largely missing in action when it comes to contributing to these discussions. Um, and, and we're in a very different world, right? We're not going to recreate a small cost at an elite that went to a few schools, intermarried, and, and felt that it was had a right to lead. 
And I don't think we should go back to that. But in a genuinely idealistic sense, and I don't really care if I sound naive or utopian, I think the idea that those with more need to give back and that those with more have a responsibility to engage the public good is both in their interest, in our interest, and regardless is an essential component to a healthy society. Well, it was great to spend some time with you and talk about the book. So thanks so much for stopping by. Zachary Carabell, his new book is Inside Money, Brown Brothers Harriman and the American Way of Power. Really a great deep dive into their history. Uh, and you can read a little bit more about those conspiracy theories as well. S&P 500 ending on this Monday down 10 points. The Dow Jones Industrial Average a decline of 54 and the NASDAQ down 51 points. For the whole Bloomberg Business Week team, have a good and safe evening. I'm Carol Master, and this is Bloomberg Radio.